0: Welcome back to the Controlled Pairs Podcast. Today, I am pleased to announce that I'm joined by my buddies Karma Cut and Spartan One One Seven, uh, Greg or, or Spartan One One Seven, and then Karma Cut and I recently attended a airsoft event, the very first one that I have ever attended. And these guys are veterans of the experience, and I kind of wanted to bring them back and take the opportunity to discuss how we landed. Uh, where we did, which is an event called American Milsim's Iron Horse 4. It was hosted at a place called the Guardian Center located in Perry, Georgia. Perry, Georgia and the Guardian Center is a uh, a world-class training facility. It hosts um, just law enforcement, special operations forces, disaster relief folks, and it's got this crazy kind of military operations and urban terrain environment. It's got a full complement of underground facilities and buildings and some woodline stuff, and it's just a a world-class place to go and enjoy this sort of experience. But first, let me introduce you to my guest today. Uh, Karma Cut is no stranger to the podcast. I think we have six or seven episodes out right now, and he's been on most of them, half of them, something like that. Uh, but he's a content creator, a tactical gaming um, extraordinaire, as it were. He does a little bit of development in the tactical gaming space as well with modding uh, some games that we're going to talk about later on. Uh, he came out to our range event a couple of weeks ago and, and got hands on some real steel and enjoyed some range time. And he's also a uh, an airsoft enthusiast of sorts. So Karma Cut, say hello to the good people hey, of the Controlled Pairs podcast. <laughs> Welcome back. We're really super glad to have you, man. And to be back. And and Spartan 117 is a a subject matter expert, frankly. I think it's okay to say that. In Airsoft specifically, he's got a super interesting and diverse background. He's a, a veteran of the Armed Forces, served in the 82nd for a while. He was a paratrooper. Uh, he's a content creator with his own YouTube channel um, that uh, that grew to some prominence some time ago. He's also uh, got some experience working in the social media manager space and and marketing. Um, and he's also done a lot of work with uh, with film and Hollywood and photography and and got his hands in a lot of the gear and the gun industry. Currently, he's working over at Haley Strategic Partners. And uh, and on top of all of that, he's got a very uh depth of knowledge in the airsoft industry uh and we're super glad to have you with us today what is up my dude
1: what's up man thank you guys for for having me man um yeah just kind of did a little bit of everything but um i guess to kind of recap uh in a way it kind of all started with uh, airsoft and video games and whatnot i started playing airsoft back in two thousand. 7 I believe and then I joined the army in 2008 um and then while I was in the army all the way to 2014 active duty I was still playing airsoft it was actually um funny enough cuz like obviously when you go through basic and AIT and airborne like you're not even thinking about that stuff then I finally got to mm-hmm. my duty station and uh it was a couple infantry guys that were in one of the other units down the street got me back into it like I didn't really like get out per se but I just didn't know anyone to play with or where to go and a couple guys got me back into it and then i started playing like every weekend so when like other guys were going to the club or the bar or whatever i was going to the field with a bunch of my homies and shooting at other people and that was kind of like my thing and then uh i did that obviously at fort bragg um and then went to japan and I was kind of hoping I would go to Japan because Japan's actually the birthplace of, air, uh, birthplace of airsoft. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Um, yeah, because of the post-war weapons ban, they couldn't have any real guns. But they love replicas. They love replicating things, whether it's model cars, trains. I mean, the company Tokyo Marui, which made the first airsoft guns, like they're famous almost just as more famous for making other things other than airsoft. So if you go to a hobby store in Japan you'll see, like, there's a whole floor or a section that's dedicated to model trains or RC cars or remote control fighter jets, and then there'll be a section or a floor for airsoft. So the way they kind of looked at it, um, it kind of started out as, like, just another, like, you know, they love recreating things, and that's why there's a big airsoft culture in Asia. Uh, But to an extent, it was kind of like their way of contributing to Second Amendment culture, I guess, in a way, because they can't have real guns, so... That's kind of how they enjoyed that kind of thing. Um, so, did that, uh, was in the army, then I got out, moved to LA, and joined the reserves. And that's when things really started kicking the high gear because I'd already started a YouTube channel when I was in the army, but it was kind of in its infancy. And then, um, you know, I, and I basically built as many connections as I could. Every time I came back uh, to the States from Japan or any time I came home from Fort Bragg, I was always going out to LA and Linking up with the other people in the airsoft industry, whether it was other players or the actual companies like Airsoft GI was really big for a while. Mm. Um, It was kind of the golden age of airsoft growing, and uh, then I got out and I immediately started working for PTS. So PTS was essentially they were the company that they were the airsoft division of Magpul, Uh, and then they obviously they separated, and so PTS was still around, and I, I basically joined right when they like had lost Magpul. So that was interesting, just having to rebuild a company from the ground up, and reintroduce products that weren't tied to like a real license. Now we did have real licenses, but nothing like Magpul. Like Magpul is like yeah, a household it's name. huge. So like the EPMS, like the EPMS that you guys were running, that's mm-hmm. like uh, ever since 2014 we were working on those, and they came out in 2015. So it took a long time to make that mag as mainstream as it is now. But it's like, I mean, as you guys saw, tons of people had him at the event. Um So yeah, like PTS, like what was interesting about working for PTS and by extension, you know, being closely related with Airsoft Extreme as well is like Andrew Ho, like the, the PTS USA owner. He's not the owner of PTS, but he owns the, he's the president of the American division. Mm-hmm. That guy probably has, I mean, more ties to the firearm industry than most people that I know. Um, specifically because he's one of the first airsoft companies to even exist in the U S he was one of the first two retailers to bring airsoft guns over. So naturally when he started going to shot show, like he was, you know, he got his foot in the door before anybody else. So we, we we kind of call it the Asian mafia because all the owners (laughs) of all the big airsoft chains, all the owners of all the airsoft stores for the most part of the big ones are all Asian owned. Um, And like he knows a bunch of the other Asians in the gun industry. So I kind of got roped into that and through him, obviously, uh, I connected really well with people in the real industry, uh, real gun side, whether it was Halo Strategic, Blue Force Gear, Larry Vickers, you name it, um, different prop houses in L.A. And then obviously, by me doing my own thing, I linked up with uh, all the other YouTubers like Desert Fox, um, Alphonse, uh, t- tons of guys. I mean, even Level Cap. I was the guy that got Level Cap into Airsoft. And... It was fun, but he also discovered how challenging, how much more challenging it is to make airsoft videos than it is to make yeah. video game videos.
0: So I recently um, discovered that myself.
1: <laughs> oh, it's uh, it's a pain in the ass, um, yeah. but you know, because it's like you know, you have to you have to buy all the equipment, you have to go to the event, you have to then have a good game, and then guns are breaking, cameras are breaking, things are you know not charging. Whereas if you're having a bad game in a video game, you can just change servers or yeah. change games. You don't have to go anywhere. So. And it's also way easier to edit to an extent. So, like, I got him into it for a while. And, like, 2015, it was, like, really awesome for YouTube. Um, I mean, I I would say Airsoft blew up in, like, 2008. But, yeah, 2015 was really big. And then then I started getting into the film side. Because the thing about the film industry uh, stuff is that... They need people who know about gear and gear history. I, and I don't know everything about, like, gear history, but I know, like, a decent amount. Uh, and also airsoft guns are used all the time in films, So we'd be getting hit up for guns for various projects. And uh, me, just by having to know people in the gaming industry as well, I got roped into, I did a couple Netflix movies um, through, like, uh, through Andrew's friends, like mm-hmm. Tyler Gray, who was on SEAL Team. Um, as a director and as a principal, he uh, he and Kevin Vance uh, he knew Kevin Vance and then through Kevin Vance to the Medal of Honor Warfighter game. Um, which is, I met up at E3 of all places. <laughs> I got LinkedIn to do a movie on Netflix called Bright with Will Smith. And then let's see, we did I did uh, SWAT on CBS a couple times and then did Tenet, the movie Tenet. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, I love that movie. That movie's awesome. And then uh, I also did the Ghost Recon commercials. I knew a bunch of the guys at Ubisoft, so kind of got in touch with those guys for the game on that, and then they needed someone to help with the commercials, so I got to work on the live-action commercials for that. Um, and, then, yeah, that's kind of some of the highlights, at least when it comes to the film stuff. Got to go to Canada for a few of those as well. And then, um, yeah, at, you know, after that, obviously, I was still doing the Army Reserve thing, and then started doing more and more on the real steel side, and... It kind of brings me to now. I mean, I still do the airsoft thing, of course, not quite as much as I used to, but still very much tied into that, and I still do some stuff with PTS on the side.
0: That's outstanding, man. And and so what are you doing now?
1: I mean, full-time, it's doing social media marketing over at Haley Strategic Partners, which, I mean, if you've followed Travis Haley and in the gun industry, you'll know the history behind that and kind of what that's contributed to the the whole whether defense space the shooting space you know even the airsoft space it's affected all of those which is probably why I was so drawn to it because it's it's kind of like one of the core of my inspiration so it's kind of cool because I get to work for my hero essentially yeah you know imagine watching someone growing up next thing you know you're seeing them every day so that was kind of a cool thing I don't you know and to my knowledge like I don't know if the airsofters who've gone through that you know every everyone grew up watching Travis Haley the Magpul Dynamics stuff and now I get to yep. A, now I get to see the guy every day, and you know, shake his hand, shoot guns, shoot guns with him, and even play yourself with him because he's like, I got him into it.
0: <laughs> yeah, and we definitely I, I need. Will, to, I, into them. <laughs> We definitely need to talk that as well. No, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a it's a, a badass path that you've traveled. Certainly a unique one. You've got your hands in all sorts of stuff. You've touched like all these different corners of you know things that I'm extremely interested in, and it's interesting how they all kind of like intersect and have like this synergy and and complement. Uh, one another so well. So like you said, you were playing a lot of airsoft while you were still in the service. Um, And are are you still playing now? Obviously, you know, we went to this event together, but um, you know, after you got out of the army, while you were, you know, running uh, things at PTS, while you were working in film and all that sort of stuff, were you hitting local fields? Were you, you know, traveling to these major events? Was all that still kind of something that you were doing?
1: working full-time for pts i was still hitting local fields all the time because it i mean to me the most important thing about playing game is who you're playing with so like the field you know in the game matters but i typically will go play with my friends because that's when i have the most fun i i don't really enjoy going to a field by myself and just playing as much i mean there's like one field i'll do that and that's yeah. like uh game pod up in norcal because you not know anybody and still have a good time at that field because that field is just amazing Uh, But typically, like, I'll usually just play with friends at walk on fields and stuff, but I love going to events because that's, like, another level of the experience, which you went through, right? You got to experience that. So that's why I like it because it's a much more, like, Bonding experience. So, because um, half the fun about airsoft is just talking about it. So, <laughs> yeah, <for
0: sure. laughs> that's, that's definitely true. And here we are uh, doing exactly that. Uh, exactly, and, yeah. and, and before we dive any deeper, definitely want to pause and, uh, and and send a huge thanks, a huge shout out to to both Haley Strategic, uh, PTS, and Airsoft Extreme. Um, these companies, frankly, um, you know, made it happen uh, for me personally. I, I did not have any airsoft equipment. Definitely had some of my own gear and stuff like that. But Haley Strategic hooked me up with their thorax plate carrier. We can talk more about, you know, wear and fit and utility and things like that of that kit later as we get into the event proper. Um, but uh, a high quality, like a straight up world class piece of equipment that you know both I and, and Karma Cut got to rock. Um, and then, uh, and then Andrew over at PTS and Airsoft Extreme hooked me up with like a super modded, like freaking laser gun of an M4. Um, like it was a KWA base gun that, uh, they modded and, uh, and provided to me so I could go and experience this for the first time, which was, uh, which was extremely special and I'm extremely, extremely grateful for. Um, but, uh, but with that in mind, so that's kind of like your, journey into airsoft so karma cut how how did this happen for you i mean obviously you were you know super huge in the gaming space still are like that's definitely your your main effort your primary focus so how did that all turn into you getting involved in airsoft i understand you're playing you know pretty frequently now
2: yeah good old greg here mr wong uh was my gateway into this i even forget how that all started like i don't know what happened we went to some local field here in LA, and uh, I was hooked from that first game. I think Greg, Greg remembers like I was so hyped about it. It was like probably a hundred degrees too. We we're probably sweating our balls off. Yeah. The local <laughs> and then the next thing, the very next thing that we did was fly out to Georgia, <laughs> at Guardian Centers, and did a Milsim event. That was my second Milsim or Airsoft experience. And then from that. We went and did the Lion Claw's tactical challenge, which was like in an aircraft uh, graveyard in in California, where we where we storm planes. So like, I had a very unique intro into into airsoft, and and you are kind of following that that line now too, just because <laughs> yeah. Greg is Greg goes all the way. I love it. <laughs> there, there's no there's no like you know kiddie pool or shallow water with Greg. He'll throw you straight into the deep end, and it's always a good time. So like, definitely, I think. If I did not have uh, someone like Greg to like really show me the ropes and talk about kit and guns and, you know, what what is – what should I buy? How do I do this? How does this work? How do I fix it? If I didn't have someone like that, um, I think it would definitely be a much harder, you know, kind of hobby to get into just because there is so much to learn. And it can kind of be kind of intimidating, um, like not knowing all the different aspects of, of this hobby. Uh, but yeah, Greg was definitely very helpful. He's, he's very knowledgeable. Like you said, he's a subject matter expert, uh, and he knows how to have a good time in airsoft. So yeah, yeah, I owe it all to Greg and it's, uh, it's been fun from there since then. I've just taken it up on my own time. Um, I play with one of the mutual friends that Greg and I have, um, in, in California, uh, who's Jordan. And, uh, yeah, just as you said as well, like Andrew over at AEX has been amazing hooking us up with stuff and, um, he's just been a great resource as well. So really fortunate to have met and, uh, you know, talked with, uh, all these guys over AEX and PTS, Greg, et cetera. And Haley, as you said as well, hooking us up with some kit. Uh, so yeah, just got really lucky, but it's been great since, um, since we jumped in.
0: It's crazy. Like when you look at, you know, not just airsoft and, and you know, just, just that specific subject, but more broadly, like in, in content creation or like this whole thing, whatever it is that we're doing, right. Like with, uh, going to business for ourselves, essentially how important those relationships are and just like having the right people, the right, you know, that are, that become mutual friends and also resources to continue to expand, you know, your, uh, your involvement in these different areas. Like Greg is absolutely like, you know, my go-to airsoft wizard. If I have content questions, like I bring it to you. If I have, you know, gun questions, I take it to, to my buddy Gunbird, uh, who's on the last show and it's just like it's so critically important um to meet the right people and and have those like extremely high quality friendships and uh and leverage those as appropriate to to gain access to these different kind of markets and and you know means of uh doing business it's pretty awesome mm-hmm.
2: yeah greg has been great i think mostly um if not just for the knowledge but also i think your attitude towards airsoft greg is very uh very it's very it's very calming (laughs) because I think when you look at the sport from the inside or from the outside or if you look at the hobby, it can seem very intense. Mm. Right? If you know nothing about it, you don't know anything about kit or MILSIM or anything like that, it can appear very intense, very overwhelming. Um like you don't want to mess up or or you need to do things like an exact proper way. uh, And you need to need to be prepared and have a bunch of this stuff. Uh, but but I think, Greg, you do a great job of just like easing people in and, and your attitude towards it like, hey, we're just here to have fun. You know, we laugh around and, you know, that's that's the extent I've never seen. I've never in my life ever seen Greg get, uh, you know, heated or, you know, aggressive or, you know, even emotionally upset, anything re- revolving the sport. He's always there to have a good time. He's a chill dude, and it's it's always good vibes when we roll with Greg. And I think that's very important because even I'm sure you saw when we went to Guardian Center, some people can bring you know they bring the heat, (laughs) bring an
0: attitude. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The um the I would say for the most part, like the experience at Guardian Center was it was it was relatively mellow. And and I guess we can kind of transition into the event specifically. Um. But I kind of described what Guardian Center was at the start of the show. Imagine like this massive training complex, you know, a, a, you know, quite literally a world class facility um, that is of high enough quality that, you know, the most um, elite units in the U.S. government uh, seek out places like that to train. Uh, And and on occasion, you know, by virtue of these companies like American Milsom, who host these events um they negotiate these contracts and they allow us to access these facilities for a period of time um and and go participate in these big events and this event Iron Horse was massive and and I don't I I'll let you guys kind of like you know cor- you know course correct me on exactly how massive it was but I think we had like 800 people like 800 players and it was yeah, it was something like, like 400 a- on 400
1: it's a huge-scale event, and just to give you a perspective, a couple of years ago, when I was going to, like, Iron Horse and Faded Giant and a couple of the other events, just just within American Sims line of games, the average game size was, like, three, 400. Then recently, yeah. in the last couple of years, it started creeping up to, like, 400, 500, 600. And then recently, games have been around, like, anywhere between six to 800, and that's across, like, multiple different uh event promoters as well so mm. i'm i'm not 100 percent sure why it's gotten so big if it's just because of youtube it's if it's because people just want to play more because they had a whole year where there was kind of like there wasn't a lot going on but uh yeah no massive massive games copperhead last year i think was 600 that was the biggest event at copperhead and that's like in the middle of nowhere so of course this event being close to atlanta georgia um yeah yeah it was a, quite the turnout
0: yeah and it, it seemed like as I looked across my social media like the who's who of you know uh, of shooting I, I hate to use the word influencers, but people that are active in the shooting space, um, not just influencing but also professionals, be it law enforcement or military or you know training companies or gear companies like it's it felt like a an enormous number of these organizations were represented uh, were represented by people at. At Copper or at uh, at Iron Horse, Um, you know, we were hanging out with uh, with some of the guys from T-Rex Arms and Mod Light. um, And of course, Mojo was out there in in admin results. And like so there and and I know on the other side, you know, we we were on the, the UFS team. And on the other side, there was there was kind of an equivalent number of uh, of professional training companies, and you know these folks that were involved. So it doesn't be growing beyond the hobby sphere, and and there's folks that are seeing it as an opportunity to get out and shoot, move, and communicate, and kind of work some you know TTP development. Uh, and it's interesting to see that sort of evolution.
1: Yeah, I would essentially say like I'm trying to think if you would if you divide airsoft and milsim into like two or three or three like eras, you had like. The very beginnings where it was like Scout the Doggy and Milsim Junkie making videos. Mm. Then there's like the middle era where like Jet and Alphonse and myself kind of started popping up. Level Cap got in Airsoft and then Milsim events really started kicking off because before it was just Lion Claws. Now you have Third Coast, American Milsim, Milsim West, of course, uh, all popping up. And now I almost call this like the third era of Airsoft where it's really starting to go mainstream to the point where it's being more accepted by the gun industry and gun guys and people in general. I mean, they're just discovering something that we already knew. Yeah. Um. But, you know, obviously guys like Travis Haley have been pushing airsoft for years, but uh, you know, recent, I mean, even last Copperhead, we had Lucas and T-Rex arms guys and obviously us. And um, it, that was, that was kind of an interesting dynamic going on there. And we played, and we had a good time. Um, so it's, there's been a lot more receptivity with Airsoft, especially since there's a lot of guys who are just curious about it now, just because it's way more affordable as a training option to augment their live fire train, not necessarily to replace anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think like my kind of first exposure, like the first time I, I was aware of Airsoft for a long time. Um, you know, I, I was aware of it in, in high school and college, never really dove in. Um, I, I played one time ever like in my life you know prior to going to iron horse and it was just a pickup game at a local like indoor field uh and, and i had a good time but i was like super young and didn't really um i didn't have like a group of friends that were super interested in it and i you know hadn't entered service yet and it wasn't like uh, something that i i fully committed to um so iron horse really was me kind of jumping into the deep end but kind of in the in the interim years what I was aware of as far as airsoft was kind of what I saw on YouTube and and it was some of the Alphonse stuff. Some of the, like dudes just like, you know, racking up tons of kills and having these crazy experience. But then there was like the negative side of it. It was like all this super oh, click, yeah. click side of, yeah, it was like clickbaity stuff. of guy's like not calling their hits and people, you know, coming to blows over stuff on the airsoft field. And just by me seeing like that style of content, I was not interested. I saw, um, and nothing against young people playing airsoft. I think they should, uh, but behavior matters and maturity matters. And so young people mm-hmm. playing airsoft need need to rise to the occasion uh, and be good sportsmen, like they would in any other you know activity. Uh, and I saw no evidence of that occurring in the content that I was consuming in those years. And it was just a lot of you know people just mag dumping on full auto at close range as you know a, a means of initiating like a legitimate physical confrontation. Um, yeah. And so I I think I had a kind of a tarnished view. Um, going in, and and I wouldn't say like I was hesitant because of that, um, but I was at least aware that that was something that I might see. Luckily, didn't see a ton of it, um, but but that was kind of like one flavor that I had going in. And then the other one, the only other time I saw anything on a Milsim event until Travis went to Copperhead last year and Mojo published a bunch of videos on it, and uh, and Lucas put some content out as well on it. Like that was that was the first time I'd consumed what I would consider to be like super high quality airsoft milsim content that looked like this was going to be something that could be valuable right and it was people that i respected a, a great deal talking positively about a, an experience than me seeing that experience and it looked good um but until then the other the only other access or only other you know uh introduction to this milsim stuff i think it was like a like a vice news story maybe um, So it's i actually
1: know the the story behind that
0: so okay. was it vice is that right
1: I, so vice did a, a cover on Wilson west Well, oh, here's what's funny they actually came to me first but i i was dealing with some legal stuff at the time so i was like hey just talk to jet threw a bone over to jet and josh over milson west so they linked up with them and uh they were just i think they were doing like an insurgency event i yeah no uh yeah i think it was an insurgency event and so they did the coverage on that they did I mean, that was a gr- I mean, it was one of those things nobody knew how it was going to turn out. Mm. Like we were like, are they going to make like Airsoft look like this really like weird, like cult kind of thing, or are they going to actually show the hobby? They actually did a pretty good job. Alice Hines, the reporter, did a very good job keeping it fair, kind of lighthearted, educational. Yeah, uh, I-, I think it really couldn't have come out any better, and so it really showed the kind of. The dynamic that Milsum kind of has, um, and uh, I think they did good coverage on it. Yeah,
0: yeah, and 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 that was kind of like my takeaway as well. And it looked super interesting, but I also thought it was like a a super niche thing, and it felt like there was a barrier to entry that I could not overcome, even with someone you know with my background. I, I looked at that and I was like, I don't even know you know where to start, um, which is why I, I was super fortunate to you know encounter you guys years later in my life <laughs> and and be able to uh, to take part and be shown that the the road to getting into this sort of stuff really isn't too daunting. Um, but yeah, like let's go to the event specifically. So the, the scenario, what I would say to folks listening, if you've never participated in one of these like massive milsim events, um, it's pretty well resourced, pretty well organized. Uh, we got a lot of information prior to the event on exactly kind of what to expect in the way of how it was going to be run, how it was going to be organized what the timelines associated with it was going to be like, um, you know, what, uh, what the scenario was, we were divided into teams, you know, when you register, you kind of choose a side, you just link up with your buddies and make sure everyone's going to the same side and, you know, getting in the right squads and things like that. Um, pay the registration fee. It was like, I don't remember what it was like 150 bucks or something like that might have been a little more, a little less. Um, but no different than like, I would say like registering for like a, a major race. If you do like, you know, like triathlons or like run a yeah, marathon it's or whatever, it's, it's kind of, yeah, yeah. kind of similar. Um, and uh, got a timeline, got told when to show up, got, got all the rules published. So there's pretty strict enforcement of like uniform standards, which, you know, makes sense given that you have to mm-hmm. be able to positively identify friendly and enemy forces. And you don't want that to take away from the experience. So our side happened to be, uh, either a desert patterns or tan patterns or, uh, or multicam. Um, and then the opposing faction was, uh, either in like a BDU pattern or, uh, or like a, a, Ranger green or an OD green pattern. Um, and, uh, and there's rules for like the way that like revives and stuff like that happens as well. And I was mm-hmm. kind of curious to see how that was all going to be organized. But basically, uh, if you get hit, you, you pull out a little rag. Uh, it's a, a red rag. That's just referred to as a dead rag. Put it on your helmet or somewhere where it's easily visible and you're out of the fight. Um, unless a medic brings you up there's a certain allocation of medics across sides um, and they can come up to you they take a an ace bandage that you have somewhere on your kit and they wrap it around your arm to get you back into the fight you're right back in the fight um, you can get you know resurrected as it were twice before you have to move back to your fob or your deploy point uh, and that deploy point you know is a couple hundred meters um, you know maybe up to a half mile or so depending on the the field um, that's kind of the the dimensions as it was at iron horse but you can kind of tell just by my description it's kind of gamified um and it's similar to like some of the games we play when you say karmacut
2: yeah i think it's uh it's very similar and even now that i'm doing like some some game development stuff like i can see the similarities between design and and how you know how we have certain revives and systems set up for games uh like video games and how they would work in the airsoft world and uh it's just really interesting cuz at the end of the day it, it is just game design but it, but physical, you know, it's, it's a physical, <laughs> it's a physical video game. Yeah, yeah That's, that's a, what it felt of,
1: like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. It was, it was just very interesting. Um, so a lot of it feels very familiar. I think, uh, like I coming, even though I'm new to milsim airsoft coming from milsim video games, like a lot of the game modes or concepts behind how everything's going to work and, 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 and wh- how everything is set up makes like, I, I can understand it. Uh, so I think that definitely helps, and it definitely has me really interested in like thinking of other ways that we could improve, or or you know what what we could do to make MilSim airsoft better. Uh, just because I think there's a lot to be learned from either experience. There's some things that I took from airsoft, and you know I've even incorporated it into the squad mod. And there's things about video games I think, hmm, what if we tried this in airsoft? Uh, so I think there's definitely a lot of crossover.
0: Yeah, what were, like, if any ideas, or, like, did any ideas come to mind? Did you have, like, a, a grand vision of what the perfect Milsim game might be? Um, or or kind of, like, what's percolating? What sort of ideas are in the back of your mind that you're willing to um, at least relinquish temporary proprietary ownership of for the sake of the podcast?
2: <laughs> I'd say definitely, for sure, like, the main thing, even in, uh, like, when, when when Greg and I did the OP line clause thing is spawns, right? And this mm-hmm. is goes across... Airsoft and the almost any tactical mill sim shooter, like respawns and the whole respawn system and, and medicing and stuff like that is so important, right? It's so critical to how the actual event plays, just that one mechanic and how you pace it and how you organize it. Uh, so the recent event that we went to, like I don't necessarily know if I agree with like the single medic revive stuff because I've seen that stuff happen and it works just like how it worked in squad <laughs> who is in squad. You have one or two medics and when the medics go down, the squad is wiped Yeah, and it makes the, the, the experience of the squad extremely fragile and people start gamifying how the medics wor- w- 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 will work and actually play. Yeah. Like whether yeah. it's sitting them in a corner or, you know, just doing a whole bunch of, of, of whatever they can to avoid that rule um or, or, to, to kind of make that experience uh, make, make walking back to base because your medics got wiped happen less. Uh, We're like, my personal opinion is you want to make the squad feel somewhat redundant, right? Because that's what people want to do is people want to go out there and they want to play. And you want the squad to be actively engaging together and not feel like we've lost a fragile part of the team or of the group. And now because we've lost this single fragile fail point, we now have to get reset a good 30 minutes. And that's not fun at all. Yeah. Um, even if it's like because I think this is a big thing on the squad server now, the whole act of recovering casualties, even as a group and, and helping each other up, that whole experience is rewarding. Um and, and and you're not shooting because you're picking these guys up. There's still a penalty to having guys go down and having your medics sure. go down and, and losing guys. Like you you're still not effective. But the experience is more active now that you're able to actually help each other. So that was the one thing that I would notice and that one thing that I think is like very important when it comes to any milsim experience whether it's airsoft or video games is how the spawns interact with with your squad and making sure that you know the groups are 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 rather i don't want to say the what's the word i'm looking for i guess redundant is the right word to use but you want to make sure that they they don't just break and just shatter because a couple pieces you know weren't working or some freak accident
0: you want them to be survivable Right. Yeah, you, you, you don't want them to survive a tactical defeat in which they are outmaneuvered and decimated by a force that outperformed them. Like you don't you want them to lose that engagement. Mm-hmm. But but you don't want the experience of everyone in that squad to suffer because someone takes a stray round through a window and they're like deep and they like this you know, the medic gets hit by a stray BB when there's hundreds going both ways. Um and and then this one player who goes down causes the experience of twelve or fourteen other players Um, to be diminished as a result of it. Mm -hmm. There's
1: actually... um, Milsom West actually came up with a solution for that. And, like, just so people know, American Milsom used to have squad leaders also be medics, so there was, like, the squad leader and the medic. Now you have just the medic. Whereas Milsom West does the buddy-aid rule, where essentially, like, I could be down, and as long as someone can get up to me and tourniquet me, I'm back in. You still have the two lives, but it just makes it a lot easier because... What happens, essentially what you guys are talking about is not a battle, as soon as the medic dies or the people know that if, you know, if as soon as we lose the medic, we're screwed, it kills momentum. Because I've seen battles, like, where it just, it almost looks like you're about to lose, but a couple guys are able to medic everybody back up just through buddy aid, and then the battle flips and you're finally able to overtake them. I mean, that happened when sure. we were, I was running with Mayhem, we were assaulting this objective running out of the tree line trying to cross this open you know danger area to get up to this compound and there was a co- one or two other adjacent buildings that were just shooting the, sh- you know the crap out of us and a, a ton of dudes went down but uh, the rest of the unit was able to push through and the guys in the rear were able to pick our guys back up and then we were able to finish co- clearing out the objective whereas with way the way things kind of played out that weekend, we just would have been screwed.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And we felt that like in our very first deployment of Iron Horse, um, we kind of like moved through that subway system. You know, came out after it. We realized it was contested. And we weren't able to gonna you know we weren't going to be able to do a passage of lines uh, to penetrate within the subway system. Uh, went outside of that building and then kind of you know ran across that large open area. Um, you know, you went down there and then the rest of the force we kept pushing um, and ended up getting kind of bogged down and like one or two buildings deep and it's somewhere in there, the medic got hit. Uh, and when the medic got hit, like, and I looked around and I was like, all right, I've got, you know, uh, karma cut was still up. G Men was still up. Grover was down. Um, but he managed to get like a, a, a sympathetic revive from a passing medic from another squad and he got back up. So I was like, all right, I've got my fire team. The rest of the guys are in a bad way. The medic is down. We have to just continue moving. Um, so to avoid losing momentum, we just kept, you know, pressing forward with our our tiny little fire team and, uh, you know, making irresponsible decisions that resulted in us getting wiped trying to cross the street. But um, but yeah, no, we we definitely kind of we felt that meta, and and I was making decisions on behalf of the fire team based off of that meta, where it would certainly have been different if Buddy Eight was you know um was uh, was available to us, and it would have changed the outcome. It one hundred percent would have changed the outcome uh, mm-hmm. of that fight, and and we hadn't, in in my estimate, we hadn't been defeated. It was the same kind of thing. We we took a couple casualties trying to cross like an open space, um, took a couple casualties through windows, um, but it it wasn't like a it wasn't that we were ever outmaneuvered or ambushed or, you know, destroyed by a force that had earned it, you know. Instead, it was just like a casualty here, a casualty there, which of yeah, course slow would
1: be a slow bleed. Basically, exactly. To the point where it's yeah. like, okay, now we're really combat ineffective because we don't have yeah. anybody. <laughs> which is interesting
0: because you certainly feel that in the real world in training and in combat, um, you know, one casualty takes uh, the wind out of the sails of any fighting unit. Um, you know, it takes three or four people to to man the litter, treat the casualty, call the nine line, move to H L Z. Like, I mean, it 100 percent uh, does that in the real world. But then it, it begs the question: like, what experience are you trying to de- to deliver the participants in a Milsim event? And it's a it's a positive experience. It's not a um, you don't want to penalize them. Or uh, or have them kind of like have an experience that suffers uh, when something like that happens, like it might in the real world. You want to have them, you know, have an amazing time because they're paying good money and working hard to be out there.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it keeps the game going, too, because when the game dies or becomes one sided because of new or changed rules, that could kind of skew things a little bit.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. Um what were some highlights for you guys uh on the field of battle as it were? Like what what give me some war stories. What did what it what went super well or what was some stuff that um you know maybe you were disappointed in? What were some kind of key takeaways from the weekend for you guys?
2: I think for me like I'm always uh I'm always really relaxed and just killing and enjoying the environment at these milsim events uh i i I don't necessarily feel like i have to go there for content i kind of just go and like if i if i get content i get content but a lot of it is just the experience and just participating in it and just having having a chill time uh and and just just being with the guys i guess and it's that's the biggest takeaway i think for me and i think i I like keeping it that way because uh it's it's a lot more there's a lot less pressure or I, I guess I feel a lot less obligation. And just knowing coming from like having gaming as my main, you know, source of income and, and how turning that into like a, a job and a grind and like always searching for clips and searching for, for yeah. content in that way, um, has I wouldn't say ruined gaming, but has changed my perspective on it. Airsoft is like this really cool thing that I do that I don't do for work and that is like <laughs> in my life that's rare <laughs> like a lot of things that en- I, I enjoy doing end up turning into work so I try not to to push it too far in that direction and I try to take a very casual approach but yeah just the whole experience meeting people and just soaking it all in that's for me I'm, I'm, I'm pretty introverted so just being there and soaking it in is is is, en- is enough for me and I had a blast
1: so, so the camaraderie is very big for you because obviously camaraderie in video games is Pretty good, but when you're doing the stuff running around for real and you're getting into fights, and people are you know, you're throwing grenades around the corner. That makes it. I mean, just I mean basically like that. I mean, like just talking about the Alamo situation that um, <laughs> that we got into. That was that was one of my favorite moments because we were like we took a big gamble, you know, running across like open ground deep into the area that's much closer to the enemy spawn so it would be obviously we we took casualties i think karma you were one of the casualties we took just trying to get to one of those buildings then we got into that building and immediately we're like all right we need to get to the top floor and secure as much of the building as possible because i don't think we had enough guys to hold every floor yeah no otherwise chance. we yeah otherwise we really wouldn't want to lose the first floor but we didn't have that many guys so we went straight up to the top knowing that the bad guys would have to fight their way up to us anyways um but that was great because we had admin a couple other guys with us we're shooting at guys like uh squirting out of the wood line yeah you know they made one or two big attacks and that last one is when they finally got out, got up on the building and started pushing up and i think i was the last guy alive and i'm trying to oh, hold yeah.
0: two I i haven't published that video but i've got that entire yeah, freaking sequence <laughs> yeah i've got that entire sequence on video and it was it was phenomenal um yeah, that was that was one of the highlights for me too. That the Alamo situation was pretty wild. Um and uh it it was almost it was almost surreal cuz um you know we you and I started that deployment just me and you by ourselves cuz we oh, were working,
1: That's right. We did a yeah. blackout like basically we were yeah. separated from everybody trying to run through the city.
0: Yeah, like we had we were working through some maintenance issues, finally kind of got back onto the field, but it was just you and me. We worked through the entire CQB mount complex. Just you and I, like, running from cover to cover, trying to make Link up on the radio with the rest of our guys. Uh, finally found them, ended up in a big fight with them, and then ended up you know, on the opposite edge of the area, right next to the enemy spawn. And we basically occupied the key terrain closest to the enemy spawn. It was a three-story structure with good observation and fields of fire in all direction. You could kind of see where the enemy was coming from. You could own mm-hmm. the wood line that they were moving from. and uh, And we basically just, like, took this giant thing, planted a flag, and said, like, all right, come get, come it. get it. Like, <laughs> this is – we're not moving. There's only one solution. There's only one way this ends. You you guys got to come in here and make us uh, leave. They,
1: they, how, how many guys do you think they threw it at a platoon? At yeah, least a full-size it, platoon it was a,
0: to a, take, uh, take us out. Easily 40 people um, were on the third floor by the time they wiped us all. And we held it with, like, a squad minus, and uh, and we were – you know, throwing frags down the stairs, chucking frags out the window, just, like, dumping mags into the wood line. And, and right. everyone was, like, running low on ammo by the end of it. We're, you know, redistributing ammo, and it was just, it was wild. And then the, yeah. the cherry on top is, like, admin results is up there with us. <laughs> and just, like, full on, in full, movie yes, <laughs> in in true form, just, like, 100% committed to the character. And it was uh it was just hilarious. I was laughing my ass off. It was a blast, though. Um, Yeah, that was... That was uh it was definitely a highlight. And yeah, then,
1: that that was the big for, at least when it comes to gunfights, that was like the highlight for me.
0: Yeah, we had, we had a couple other good ones. The uh the train station was uh was pretty dope with um when we worked the flank with uh oh, yeah, with, with Mojo and crew. It, um, yeah. that um, <laughs> was a good flank. That was just
1: a good exercise in maneuvering. And coming in where they didn't expect us, and then putting pressure on them—that was really good.
0: It was. That was. It was clean, uh, and, and we did that all without you know taking any casualties. So that was a, a big win. Um, and uh, and I already I published that video. That one's out there, and that one's uh, that was one that I was proud of, just from a like a, a planning and uh, just like a, a maneuver standpoint. Exactly like you said. Mm-hmm. And then what what I thought was interesting, Cut, which you mentioned. You know, you, you go to there to chill, and bro, that was one hundred percent my intent. <laughs> and the um and the people were were phenomenal like when we when we got there and like the night before everything kind of kicked off we're you know uh hanging out and drinking beers with with just phenomenal like just great people and 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 meeting guys for the first time and yeah
1: blue gene operator and a couple of those other guys
0: yeah so it was just just meeting those guys was awesome and uh and just like having that camaraderie and, and uh getting to know folks was great and then um and then I, I didn't really know what to expect once, like, things went live and we actually, like, started, you know, doing the damn thing. Um, but, like, something – it it felt to me exactly – I'm not saying it was training. It felt like I was at work, right? Like, it felt like training. Um, and, uh, and I don't – I think there's just a switch in my brain and it's only on or off, you know? Um, and it was definitely on. Whenever we were larping around with it was our BB so guns,
2: funny, it was so funny. It was so funny because we get out there, and and we're, we're chill, we're chill. And then I literally see the switch in in Paris's range switch on, and He's he started like- he started yelling at me like, "Watch that Like, Hahaha. I just started dying because like I know the quality of gameplay is is not going to be like what he's used to at work and just watching him try to direct people and all that, and try to make sense of the situation and slowly begin to understand how chaotic the the event is going yep. to be was just great because <laughs> you see him for the first like five to ten minutes try to control the situation and like organize people and then you he starts to realize that All right, everyone that is not in our immediate group is completely fucked. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly. (laughs) 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 It was just so funny watching him go from the stage of, like, complete trying to organize and just lock stuff down to, like, slowly realizing... (laughs) <laughs> what the event's gonna be like. Yeah. I, was, I was like, if I ever go back to my GoPro footage, you'll watch me just watching you, and it's just like I can just like see <laughs> the process is happening in your He's brain. Like and I was right like, oh, so He's like, funny. these
1: people don't know what they're doing.
0: Well, I'm totally <laughs> like, I just. uh I mean, I'm just, I guess I'm just committed to the cause. Like I get kid on, I get like Peltors on my ears and then just like now I'm at home and there's like yeah. I, there's only one way I behave like when I'm in that mode, I guess.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and like I had I caught myself a little bit because like I got I never got hot. Like I'm I'm a very like level dude. Mm-hmm. I just am. But that doesn't mean I can't escalate my actions to Sense meet the urgency. intensity <laughs> yeah. of the event. So like. I caught myself barking at some people a couple times, and I was like, "All right, th- I need to dial that back." Like, that's this person's probably never been spoken to like that in their entire life, and today doesn't need to be the first day. Like, so, yeah. um, but uh, but no, it was God. It, it was uh, it was it was freaking it was great, um, and and it was cool being around other people who. You know, we're of similar backgrounds and you could just see um, they're they're like the exact same way uh, and, and you go out there to have fun. And, you know, I was taking ridiculous risks that I would never do in legitimate training or combat, um, but it's fun to experiment and just be like, I wonder if this could work. You know, like I wonder, like yeah. I would never try to cross this street ever under any circumstances. Um but let's see if we can. Yeah, <laughs> like how, fa- yeah, how mean, fast? How fast do I need did, to run? <laughs> you do kind of aim it
1: a little bit because of the limitations of the technology and range sure. and stuff like that. So obviously, there's things you can get away with, and there's stuff that you can't get away with in real life. It it starts getting much closer. Uh, I guess you would say to like real farms once you get into CQB. But yeah, out yeah. in the open, it's like uh, they can see us, but they can't hit us. So we can kind of maneuver this way and kind of just. Yeah, make our way around. Yeah, but, um,
0: I had no idea what the range of the gun was because I I shot it in my backyard, but I had like I never I never shot in the open.
1: hundred eighty feet is about average for airsoft guns now. Yeah. Back in the day, it used to be like one hundred twenty to one hundred fifty. Now it's about one hundred eighty to two hundred, and upgraded guns are like two hundred
0: up, yeah, like three hundred depending on what they're upgraded with. And then, like, once we got out there in the open and I started, like, adjusting my rounds, I was like, all right, I am uh, in, poss- in possession of a mortar system. Uh, acknowledge. <laughs> like, I'm shooting, like, eight feet above people's heads, trying to, like, drop them, you know, drop BBs onto them at, at extreme range. And, like, at yeah. one point, you and I were, like, taking cover behind that bus uh, near, oh, yeah. near our own. And you're just like, dude, just, you're wasting BBs right now. And I was like, but <laughs> I can, I
2: can see them.
0: They're yeah. right there. <laughs> yeah. That's, like, that's,
2: like, one of the things it's, like, seeing experienced airsofters and then seeing people who like do it for work and then seeing people who have no idea like you can very distinctly just from seeing what they do know immediately what kind of background this person has so like on that first push out like Paris is saying get cover here aim your gun down this direction and I'm looking at it and I'm like None of us can reach them. <laughs> no one's <of us, laughs> gonna be able to do that. Yep. But, but and then and then Paris runs out to cover cover Greg and like, I'm watching him shoot. And is like he, he is oh, so yeah, far so out of
1: range. No. No.
0: It's no. like those guys are like 200 Jag- yards Jag- away. Good luck. <laughs> well,
1: they they got funny, me. With the, uh, they got me with now the one weapon system that did reach was they was got me with wall. a Tegan round. It was a yeah. 40 millimeter launcher. They were they basically shot it just to gamble to see if they would be able to hit any of us making that bound across. And mm. I just happened to be just close enough to one that went off. And I was like, damn, I looked at it. And I was like, that definitely got me. and <laughs> I like laid on the ground, but, uh, yeah, thanks for coming back to get me, even though my gun broke in half. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The
2: opening, so that opening that opening engagement.
1: Come out to get me and like cover because I was like, oh, I think they're gonna forget about me. <laughs> <laughs> <They're coming back.
2: laughs> I had the biggest smile on my face that whole first engagement. It was just a joy to watch. It uh, was a
0: blast, man.
2: Yeah.
0: I was uh yeah, I was I was absolutely just having the time of my life um it was great and you get to live out like your your war hero fantasies because you know doing anything remotely similar to the kind of stuff we were doing would you know result in you dying rapidly in combat <laughs> but, but uh but it's uh it's it's uh it's great on camera it's fun as hell um and that was that's the thing like from just like a, a perspective you know on the way into these sort of events i think it's super important to just like have your expectation that your goal is to have fun like it mm-hmm. you're going to get some value out of it and we can get into that here in a second you're definitely going to get some value out of it but it is just fun it's a, it's about the people that you're with it's about freaking um you know you know just having an absolute blast and and i think it's yeah and i i can't think um you know, there's there's only a few times in recent memory where I've just had that just like raw, just like fun. It was just fun. You know. I'm a, I'm a grown ass, grown ass man. I don't get to go out and play a lot, but that was just like play and it was great. It was a it was a blast. And I, I really I'm excited to do it again.
1: Yeah, I think that was Karma's first time getting some at least decent amount of time under nods too, so
2: yeah, no, see, that that was the thing, too, It's like, I'm there for the experience, <laughs> like, as soon as I put Nods on, I'm just, I was, like, walking around, just cheesing, I didn't care what the hell happened, I was just, like, this is cool. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, because, I guess, so his first time under Nods was was at our range weekend uh, back in February, oh, yeah, 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 and then, yeah. but, I mean, it was, like, you know, flat range, static stuff, and uh, and so, yeah, you got to, like, actually move around a little bit, how did that go? Mm-hmm.
2: It It's like i said dude i literally spent half the time just like not not really paying attention just like wow this is cool this is cool and just like looking around and getting used to how um you know you were using the monocular and stuff like that mm-hmm. and like walking around and running around and stuff like that uh and then just looking at stuff i like that's i do that a lot at these events where i just i, I don't necessarily zone out but i'll just take it all in like the, the scale of it all how, how many people are out there like there's so much action going on around you um and i just i just absorb it all especially like at night when when you've got people who are like using bb tracers and stuff like it's just oh, like yeah. it's wild it's, it, yeah it's so good it's so good to watch uh mainly because like i i i, I don't think I'm, i i'm like that good of an airsoft player i just mainly i mainly go to just soak it all in cuz it's just cool to watch it's like a real life movie that's that's for me what i kind of what i kind of get out of airsoft mostly is is real life movie and some exercise, honestly. Yeah,
1: if you think if you think that was the movie, wait till you go to Milsom West. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's a good transition point. So, like, we kind of just described, you know, what our experience was at, uh, at American Milsom's Iron Horse. So, American Milsom's one of several of these major event companies. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, where are they on like the casual to the tryhard scale? Is that like the most casual experience, or or like? So I would say nowadays.
1: Lion Claws definitely leans toward the casual side. And it's funny because um, the owners behind Milsom West also have another company um, that they, uh, they co-own or uh, run with Jet Desert Fox called Desert Fox Events, mm-hmm. which that event series is more casual, but the fighting is still really intense because of they use an app to direct the combat. Yeah, so cool. even though it's a casual event, it basically plays like Battlefield because you actually have like a, a kind uh, of a version of attack that has yeah. all the objectives and you have to capture the objectives. So it directs all the fighting and you can see where everybody is on the map and you can see who's alive and who's dead. So that's an, another layer. But uh, American Milsom's probably in the middle. Uh, and then Milsom West is the most realistic because Milsom West, basically, they cut out all of the BS um you know you don't need to have like 50 patches on you it's uh it's it's such a it's it's one of those events where instead of them changing the standard to meet you you kind of have to rise to meet their standard i mean yeah. obviously anyone who's been in the military will see the tax op their sop their, i mean basically they're one of the few companies that really lives by their rule set mm-hmm. i mean everyone has the rule set but um it's almost like a religion within msw like you know if you have a question about the game everyone says read the tax op read the tax op it's got everything it's got the uniform regulations the weapon regulations it has your the list of everything you need to bring it's it's the only Milsom event on a national level that i know of that has a requirement of you needing to bring certain things to pack out um, for, like, s- sleeping, food, change of clothes, stuff like that, because it's a nonstop 40-hour event. They literally do that so that people don't just show up their first time, aren't prepared to sleep overnight in either regular or inclement weather and, like, you know, get injured or die or whatever. So yeah. they do have a packing list, which most of the events don't have. And uh, I still even remember the first Milsom West. They make they made everyone, at least at the first Milsom West, it was specifically because of the cadre, but they made everyone take all their patches off because, you know, people are, like, trying to rep, like, their own team or whatever, they made everyone take all their patches off and you guys are like, this is like our platoon. It's the only Milsim event where if you see another element on the battlefield, you know exactly who that is, whether it's the enemy or whether it's a sister platoon or a sister company, uh, whether it's another NATO faction like Grom or Aussies or British. Like, yes. It's the one where... All- like, the structure makes sense. Like, the platoons, the companies, the squads, like, you are with your squad the whole weekend. No one's going back to a hotel or anything. You're sleeping outside, you're pulling security, um, so, like, you know, you're with your dudes the whole time. So, it's a very cumulative experience, and because it's got a higher bar of standards you tend to find higher quality players and also higher quality kits as well because people are more into the the realism aspect of the immersion aspect as well um so and then ov- obviously you got blank fire weapons as well so it is kind of a whole nother animal i mean for obviously like i said if you've been in the military it's like a 40 hour ftx
0: yeah that's exactly what it sounds military,
1: like yeah um, but obviously it's more fun like there's a lot yeah. of junior officers who go to this uh go to milson west just cause, because they want to just free you know, reps well they, yeah they, it's another rep of like hey i have a whole company size element that i can do whatever i want with that yeah. i normally wouldn't be able to do in the regular army or whatever so let's have fun with it and let's kind of play around and, With ideas and tactics and uh it's the experience varies depending on the area of operation you go with it's also the only event company where the cadre actually in my opinion really means anything um the cadre everyone does cadre differently but uh milson west has like military veterans as cadre leading the factions but also leading um the platoons as platoon sergeants and if they have enough of them leading squads and stuff as well um, uh, that just depends on the scale. Before it was only a couple guys. Now they bring an entire fleet of cadre mm. out to most events. So that way, when Joe Schmo shows up, he's got somebody with experience that he can follow. And you know, they'll usually take one of the players and make him a platoon leader. But let's face it, the platoon sergeant's the one telling everyone what to do. So, and there's there's different teams that obviously part- partake. Uh, Mayhem being probably the most premier, which is a ranger focused. Uh, impressionist group that has a lot of active duty, uh, active duty and prior rangers in it. They have the best kit, the best weapons, and like when those guys come through, they just steamroll people because they don't they don't play they don't play around. So that would be the most premier um, if you're looking for straight up immersion. If you kind of just if you just want to have fun and enjoy yourself but not be under as much stress, American Millicent is kind of a happy medium where you yeah know, you can still go out and party and hang out at night and whatnot off site. Uh, but you don't have to worry about getting killed in your sleeping bag. I mean, but obviously <laughs> there's there I mean I mean also like a lot of my favorite events have been Milson West events because of that experience of like, ooh, we're gonna go ra- raid a, a Russian position at night at like two in the morning or All the best fighting happens at like two, three in the morning. Yeah, it's
0: awesome. a lot of those
1: events and then you'll have bigger, larger company platoon size battles during the day. Um so whether whether you've been in the military or not, like that's kind of the scale to kind of give you an idea.
0: Yeah, it's pretty awesome. How many events do they host like a year? Is that like a once a year kind oh, of thing man. or are they going all over the place?
1: All the event companies have – my guess is anywhere between 8 to 12. Anywhere between once every other month to once every month, a lot of these event companies, I mean, that's what they do full-time. At yeah. least Wilson West does it full-time. So they have like an event all the time. And like you mentioned earlier, a lot of them are like – a week apart like you know I mean AMS will have one event and the next week there's milson West and then week after that there's Lion Claws. so you kind of have to pick and choose what you want to go to and like yeah. if you're a new player I would suggest like try AMS try Lion Claws, try Third Coast but if you really want to dive into the weeds and like if you're really into the impressionist thing and you really want to be immersed then try out Milson West but understand there's a standard and a requirement and like you you have to you know You have to sustain yourself for 40 hours, which is food, water, like you have to ruck everything that you're going to use in. So if you're not ready to do that, maybe you shouldn't try that as your first (laughs) event.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm like just reflecting on like some of the first times I ever went, you know, to the field, um, that amount of weight you might not be accustomed to. There's a whole like degree of field craft that, that comes with it as well. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's not just like lay a sleeping bag on the ground and you're good to go. Um, there's what
1: then you you're like covered to do. It's like, oh, I yeah, exactly. So it's like you've got like
0: <laughs> waterproofing and insulation mm-hmm. and like you know makeshift shelters and things like that. Not to mention since you're in a tactical environment, the the requirement to maintain sentry is actually establish mm-hmm. a patrol base and go through priorities of work yeah. and uh, and yeah. camouflage your position and set up your you know defensive and your, your black and gold plan. and like all this, you know, basically like Ranger school style fundamental patrolling yeah. stuff. Uh, and it's crazy to think that people come off the street with zero experience and just like dive into that.
1: Yeah. And, and also too, a lot of these higher tier events is when more advanced, uh, equipment comes out like night vision and thermals. Like, I don't think, uh, like, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's guys who show up to AMS with thermal and I'm pretty sure I've seen them, but Milsom West is like people really bring out the night vision because mm-hmm. the night fighting is paramountly more important at, at MSW than anywhere else so thermal and night vision play a huge role in identifying people uh like just one identifying where they're at and then identifying who they are and then killing them yeah so um yeah it plays a huge role and um yeah you'll you'll see that msw as well
0: yeah for and and for people listening who hear like man this sounds like a huge barrier to entry like one yeah definitely check out ams first um or some of these other events but you also don't have to necessarily own night vision to get access to it yeah you can Um, rent it for you know whatever fee they've they've got these companies that provide a bunch uh, of
1: 100 200 bucks you can rent it night vision inc actually just became a full-on sponsor with milson west so what they what they say instead of owning the night you just rent the night
0: (laughs) (laughs) there you go yeah so like there yes the barrier to entry to high is high but it's mostly in performance um and for those listening who are like, you know, I just want to dump, jump in and go straight into like a Milsom West kind of thing, definitely go out and test your stuff first. Like go, you know, actually, um, you know, go camping and limit yourself to whatever rucksack you plan on taking with you to the event and live out of it for the weekend and see what that feels like and what you need to adjust before you, you know, commit to to go doing it in a tactical environment. Uh, but don't, you know, don't make it your first time uh, doing it live because that that, oh, that yeah. can be painful. Don't go break in boots. <laughs>
1: I've definitely seen first timers at Milsom West before, and like, I mean, even just with talking with Blue Gene operator at the house about those yeah. guys, I yeah, with yeah, and he yeah, was yeah. like, brought that duffel with extra guns, and yep. he's like, "What? What do you guys carry? Like a litter? It's like just a bunch of extra guns, and he just throws it on his back, but." Um, no, yeah, I mean, yeah, you do get first timers and people who aren't prepared coming out to milsom West, and uh they definitely learn the hard way
0: for sure yeah that's a that's a tough lesson. I've seen people learn that lesson before it's an important one, but um, if you don't have to learn it that way, you know yeah. don't learn it that way <laughs> <laughs>
1: don't learn it that way it's not worth it
0: karma <laughs> would you be up for milsom West or is that beyond uh beyond the scope of your interest?
2: No, I I definitely would be down. I just have to prepare and get, get, you know, everything squared away for that. Um, It's definitely a level up in intensity that I'm used to. So it's definitely going to be something that I just need to plan it. Whereas, like, any other event, you could probably, Greg could probably, hey, like, we're doing an event in two weeks. You come in and it'd be like, Ur. yeah, <laughs> yeah,
0: I and I hear it not like, I, you know plenty of familiarity with that type of experience. And even in my head, I'm like running through like what my packing list would look like and how I want my ruck set up and like how I would pack it out. And um, so it's good. It, it raises those questions, which are like valuable for the game, obviously, and then valuable for people who want to be able to take care of themselves and their family. So like you, you definitely get some lessons learned um, mm-hmm. out of all of that, which kind of like leads me into the next point here. And that's like this big discussion on airsoft as a training tool. Um, mm-hmm. I I'm super careful about how I talk about like training because, you know, I, I was raised on this doctrine where training is, is very specifically defined. Um, and the key differences in my mind between it and like going out to a casual airsoft bin or even like an American mill, some kind of thing is that training has desired training outcomes. You define your training objectives prior to you design the training to meet those objectives. You measure the output at the end of the training. And it's uh, a, okay. it's an extremely like, you know, doctrinal process. Um, designed to achieve certain things and there's risk of doing it wrong. Um, cause you can also learn bad habits during training that could, you know, training be, scars, be, yeah. exactly. That could be catastrophic, uh, under live conditions. Um, so kind of, I, I, you know, Greg, what's kind of like your initial take on airsoft as training. I, I, I think it's certainly like it's a bridge, um, yes. between two worlds. No doubt in my mind, I think it is valuable. I think there is training benefit to it. Um, I mm-hmm. hesitate to, to describe it as training. Um, because it is entertainment and even these companies say like hey come out and be entertained like that's why you register yeah, for these events. I mean yeah, they're, um,
1: they're selling it as entertainment. Um so the way I approach it is you just have to approach it with a filter. And like, you know, you can't just accept it fully as training, but there'll be yeah. aspects of it that are valuable to training. Um, so it's, so what I think is like, like I said, just approach it with a filter, know that there's going to be things that you like, like you said, there's things that you're going to do that you're probably not going to do in real life. Um, there'll be some moments that almost transfer identically and some things that Mm. don't transfer at all. So someone who's looking to get training value out of this will just have to know how to tell the difference and how to filter that out for themselves. Um, because if they just accept it all as training, well, it's like, okay, well, you know, you're doing a lot of things you wouldn't do in real life. And then if you just accept it purely as fun, then you might forget some of the aspects of it that are valuable. So that, that's how I approach it. You just have to pick what things are actually beneficial and focus on those, whether it's body positioning, working corners, you know, working in teams, communication, Blah, blah, blah. Obviously, you know, you're not shooting out uh, 300 meters in airsoft. So, <laughs> mar- marksmanship, while like it is super important, you know, it's limited by the technology. And of sure. course, that also, therefore, impacts tactics as well, at least at a certain range. But once you get closer, um, things start to translate a little bit more. So, that's how I approach it. There's value to it. You just have to be able to know um what things are giving you value and which which things are not so that way you can walk away with the things that you learned without actually taking the training scars with you or you know without walking away with a uh, nev- negative experience
2: yeah
0: i think that's a extremely fair assessment and Kind of my recommendation to folks is is if you want to use Airsoft as a training tool, you have to do something else also. Like it definitely doesn't replace anything. We all know that. Yeah, um, it
1: augments like UTMs and live fire and DriveFire. For it's, sure. It's just, it's just a slice of the pie. It doesn't replace anything on the pie. It doesn't take importance over something else, but it's just, just, just a piece of the pie. And the problem is, is some people just... Focus on flat range stuff, yeah, so that's just one portion of the pie. Some people only do force on force. some people only do simulation stuff. some people you know what I'm saying, so it's like, and they all say, well, this is the way to do it, and another guy will say, this is the way to do it. It's like, well, they're actually all the way to do it, and that's why you kind of want to be a jack, a master, you know a master of all those or or you know at least try all those, whether you're a master of none, you've at least done all those for sure, so you understand like. I mean, because we talk about this at work, too. It's like every single one of those is a model with limitations. Like a flat range is a model with limitations. One, you can't shoot at any real people. Targets don't shoot back at you. Targets don't move. Um, Targets are stationary. And um, you're limited by the range. Whereas in a Milsim area, you're not limited by the range. Like, you know, you're limited in terms of how fast the bullets can go projectiles can go, but you have an entire facility and you have people shooting at you. So there, there's like give and take. So it's just understanding like in order to eat the whole pizza, you kind of have to have a couple different slices along the way. You know what I'm saying? For sure. To get the most out of everything.
0: Yeah. And I definitely think you need to have like a good baseline. Like I, I felt extremely comfortable walking away from Iron Horse with things in my pocket that I knew were valuable, but I mm-hmm. also have a filter because I have experience, right? Yes. And, and there's a risk of people with zero experience going to those events yeah. and trying to glean value from them. I still think you mm-hmm. can, but because you don't have a baseline of uh, either formal training or live training or, you know, going overseas or whatever it is, um, there's, there's a risk of not being able to discern what was yeah. impactful and valuable and what wasn't. Um, so I think like, if you're looking at these things to try and glean training value from it's important that you attach yourself to people with those filters that can help you sort through what was you know what was good what was bad you know what you need to keep and kind of put in your pocket and walk away with and what you need to kind of let go of um i think go ahead
2: oh sorry i was gonna say i think i have a good perspective on that because that's kind of the background that i come in from Mm -hmm. right whereas i i have no i have little i've essentially i'm just gonna say i have zero like real live firearms training. I have zero like actual training in like military, like actual military tactics or real world, um, you know, scenarios or how to deal with certain things. So when I look at Airsoft and quote unquote training or what I can take away, um, it is very much like you're saying you need to essentially reality check yourself. Right, because like you have a whole bunch of airsofters who think that just because they play airsofters or even Milson video games that they can go out and like they'll they'll shoot like a god and they can win wars, right? <laughs> yeah, <clears throat> you definitely <laughs> you just have to reality I'm really check yourself. That too, <laughs> <laughs> you, <laughs> so. you got to be real and and just understand that like <clears throat> at its base it is a game. But that being said, if you think real hard about it, there are certain things that I think you can take away while being extremely careful with understanding what is valuable. So for me personally. <clears throat> the easiest things that I can take away from these events, um as far as the training aspect is number one the kit mm-hmm. understanding where stuff goes how how heavy stuff is, how to lock stuff down so it's not moving around um and understanding how physically fit you need to be and uh, how yes. how your body moves that is a that is a really big easy takeaway i think for for like the most minimal amount of training or or you know valuable knowledge that you get out of Airsoft is the physical experience of doing this stuff with this stuff on. And how it feels, how heavy it is, where it's placed. And the second thing is, um, what what specifically when it comes to flat range shooting. Uh, it, so long as you're playing with the, the the airsoft rifle as as you know, the with with the basics of, of firearm safety, I think it's a really good tool for training people. Um, you know, safe firearms use. But you have to start using the airsoft gun from the beginning with, like, safeties on whenever I'm not firing, while, wa- well, like, watching muzzle awareness. But once you take that, those basics into to uh, real still stuff, like, it's, it's, when we did the real still event, it was very easy for my brain. Like, safety on, safety off, muzzle awareness, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so those are, like, some very basic things. Just you got to boil it down to, like, what can be absolutely almost undisputably like useful indisputably yeah. useful, right and,
1: and the physical fitness portion is actually pretty important because i mean i mean if you saw mike jones urban survival video recently grant them what does he say is like if you're not fit you will die <laughs> and in a real world situ- situation like physical fitness i mean at least being able to run like maybe you not might might not be like the most capable with like lifting stuff but if you can at least move and wear your kit and hold your weapon and be able to maneuver. That's like at least the first step. Cause there's a lot of people yeah. who can't do that. And to be honest, it's, it's kind of funny because as much fun as people make about airsofters, I've seen tons of people in the real gun community. When you go to the range who are just as much as a disadvantage, whether it's them th- thinking they're the awesome cause they shoot real guns, but they have, no situational awareness or the ability they'd never trained moving or they never done anything so they're also still getting very limited part of the puzzle and even a bunch of those guys aren't maintaining fitness levels but i think the interesting thing here is uh i believe airsoft for you uh carbica uh was the catalyst for doing more of getting into shape and becoming physical wasn't it like it was a huge catalyst or played a huge part right
2: well, yeah, but that's because uh, kit looks cooler if you're in shape.
0: <laughs> that's true.
2: <laughs> Facts. That's the easiest way to look good in your airsoft shit is to be in shape. Okay. Uh, but no, for real, like a lot of the I, maybe it's not so much training as it is realizations, right? So, like, even how loud you are and how loud your kit is. Like, is your sh- is, is your stuff like clanging all over the place? Are you mm-hmm. are you you know? Are you when you're walking? Are you making a whole bunch of noise? Like. There's a whole bunch of stuff in Airsoft that you realize, you know, maybe maybe it's not training, but you realize, like, oh, damn, you know, this is not ideal. This is causing a problem, yeah. <laughs> this is causing a problem. Um, even, you know, I know it's not the same as getting shot at in real life, but operating under stress. Because I know some people, like, they go to these things, it's stressful. You got a lot of stuff going on. You got people yelling. And you're trying not to, you know, "quote unquote" die. Like to some degree, it is is stressful. Yeah, and you're, and, you're, and I'm sure adrenaline, you know, starts spiking through the roof for some people. Especially yeah. like I, I know that Grover and 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 uh, G-Man when they get stuck in that house alone, they got people in the same oh, building. Yeah. I can only imagine the excitement that they felt. Um, but you start to realize, like, oh, damn, you know, <laughs> your brain misses things; it doesn't think too much, or or You know, it's just realizations. That's how I say it. uh, You will realize a lot of stuff with Airsoft.
1: Your body will definitely have a lot of body alarm responses. And then kind of going to what you were saying about the gear, if you think about it, I mean, we actually say this a lot at work. Airsofters probably use their gear and wear it and wear it longer and do more stuff in it than a lot of other people that buy our stuff. Because, like, if you just throw it on, you go to the range, do some flat range stuff, you might be working on gun fundamentals and stuff. But... And you might, you know, pick out some things of how the gear is working for you or not, but it's not the same as walking 11 miles, running and jumping through windows and shooting in weird positions with the oh, gear. Yeah. Airsofters do all the time. So that's why, like, again, like, I think as much fun as people make about airsofters, airsofters are actually wearing the stuff and doing the stuff more than a lot of people who go shooting are. So that's why it's like the more people do both, the more they're going to glean the advantages, of both, advantages of both. And being able to to conquer the um, the limitations of the models of the flat range and the models of airsoft and get the best of both that's that's how you're going to become better you you just you just got to do both
0: yeah I think that's a completely that's spot on and and I totally agree with the kit setup and fitness those were the the two first things that I was going to mention um, and things that I like I learned from over the course of the weekend like I, I had to I took the kit you know, my personal kit that I shoot with at the range. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go like fire and maneuver. What do I need to change? on this kit to do that, which is a problem, right? Cause I sh- it should be nothing like the kit that I wear to the range should be like ready to go for fire maneuver, right. but, but it wasn't. And I had to, I changed my gun belt setup. Um, I swapped a pouch uh, and I added a GP pouch to carry pyro in. Um, and, uh, and so like, I, I went through this thought process and I was like, okay, well, I'm glad that I, I went through that mental rehearsal. Cause the reality was like, I was well equipped to go, you know, train on a firearm at a flat range, but I was not well equipped to go shoot and move as a member of a team um, with the way that my kit was set up prior to, uh, uh, to iron horse for, um, and so, so I got a lot out of that. And then of course, like on our very first deployment, like 10 minutes into the round, we did a 60 yard balls out sprint, um, you know, from cover to cover under fire. And, uh, and I was wearing, you know, Basically, it, it all not the same weight as combat kit because I didn't have ammunition and I wasn't carrying a ton of water. I just had a couple bottles, um, but uh, but front back plates, you know, full plate carrier, um, and and the whole thing, and uh, and and I went just you know balls out on that movement. Got to the other side, and I was like, yep, that feels about right. Like that's that's uh, that's a familiar feeling. All of a sudden, you know, um, so wholeheartedly agree on both of those accounts. The um, the other thing that I I thought was. Where I got some value and and others likely would get value too um was uh just in communication, both nonverbal using hand and arm signals mm-hmm. um verbal just communicating directly with the people around you and providing just like you know very active voice, very descriptive, very clear, and concise communication to solve security problems or organized maneuver or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, uh, and then working on the radio, Um, the radio was significantly more simple than, you know, what I've been accustomed to in the past. Um, I was really like, I was monitoring two nets. I was working one. I only had one radio, but it was still like, I was using a, a, you know, an ANPRC 152 replica um, that takes like a, you know, a NATO, um, you know, connection. And I was using, Mm -hmm. um, you know, real world, like live push to talk and running a RF rerouting cable around to my back panel and, you know, using a long whip antenna and running my Comtac. So like it wasn't a one-to-one comms replica, but it was damn similar. Like it was, Comparable, yeah. it was, it was damn similar. And there's a lot of people who've been to war with exactly the setup that, you know, I had. Um, and, uh, and that, it felt super familiar And and I definitely saw the value of like, working the radio and organizing our like little small team uh, making sure that everyone understood where the frontline trace was where the next move was coordinating link ups near and far recognition uh, symbols making you know um, radio link up that turns into visual link up that turns into like a hand and arm signal to wave that it's all clear to like conduct a physical link up um, and I, and as I as we were doing those things organically I definitely like giggled inside and I was like this is real, like this is we're like this is an, an organic procedure that actually happens in the real world that just happens to be replicated here in this you know giant simulation.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I, I also love that you had that whip because it made it easy to tell. Like I was like, because everyone's wearing the same of like where is there? He is. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, on top of that too. Um, I think that uh no, yeah, the communication was a huge plus. Like just listening to you guys on the comms about you know an internal, and external, and working in and around the train and stuff. I think everyone did a really good job of that. And I think it's kind of funny because like Airsoft, it kind of reminds me of my 82nd days. It's like the whole LGOP little group of parents. Oh yeah, it's very much that. It's very much that because there's not like a lot of official command and control, but you just got your small group of dudes and just coming up with um, solutions to different problems as you come about them, which is that kind of adaptive, spontaneous thinking is really good to have i mean that's that's why that's why the airborne like was able to pull out a wind during world war ii because it was just like well we know where the bad guys are let's just go kill them yeah 100 <laughs> percent.
0: just like small groups of people taking initiative yeah. and, and moving to the guns
1: yeah yeah definitely better than like other countries doctrine where as soon as the leader dies everyone's like all right well we're just gonna twiddle our thumbs until <laughs> someone with someone with rank comes by and tells us what to do like, sure. we're just like oh
0: so there was definitely I, there was definitely some blueberries out there though for sure. Oh sure, yeah. I mean, there's <laughs> there's always gonna be
1: those, but um, I I think our little group did really well and had a good time, and uh, it was cool like like you said earlier, mixing people from various. I mean, that's one of my favorite things about this, which has been happening more and more. You know, before it was just us airsofters. Then it was airsofters and gamers. Now it's airsofters gamers. And guys from the industry and more the military guys coming out. So yeah. the mix of the population is becoming much better. And like, like you said, you start seeing that blend in more. It's just because it, it has something for everybody. So everyone's drawn to it. Um, and everyone walks away with something different or maybe something the same. So that's what I think is one of the big benefits.
0: For sure. We got a few minutes left here. I want to close out with some gaming stuff. But before we do that, there's a lot of people who just listen to this whole conversation and they're like, all right, how do I get involved? Like, what's what is step one? Um, So what is step one? I feel like I got to skip a bunch of steps because you guys did that for me. Um, So so if someone wants to get involved in the sport and, uh, and participate in some of the stuff that we're describing, what does that look like?
1: I mean, basically, it it always starts with the gun. It always starts with the gun and then kind of understanding, like, are you playing outdoor fields? Are you playing indoor fields? Um, And just knowing FPS limitations... Um, And finding a reputable manufacturer, which, to be honest, there's a lot more reputable manufacturers now than there were when I started playing. When I started playing, there was like four companies making airsoft guns. Now there's like 50 or 100 of them. Um, So in a way that might make your choices harder, but also at the same time, there's much more of them that are making pretty reputable guns. And the bar to entry is only like 200 bucks for like a decent starting gun. Uh, and then just get some decent batteries from like Titan Power. I would probably, if it was me, I, and I did start all over again, I would definitely start with like Titan Power batteries because that saves you a lot of the troubles and headache of, around batteries. Um, I would recommend that even before getting a higher tier gun, because even even an entry level mid tier gun will still perform pretty reasonably, and you'll still have fun with it. And after you get the gun and some decent quality eye or face protection, whether it's uh, a mixed hybrid balaclava slash mesh face protection like we were all wearing over mm-hmm. the weekend or a full mask or or Oakley go- goggles just make sure it's ANSI rated stay away from me- mesh BB masks because that does not make any sense like anything mesh for your eyes is just a nightmare but anything mesh for your lower face is okay um, and then after that it's just um, it kind of becomes in how much money you want to spend on gear because theoretically you could have a gun with a high cap with 300 rounds and have a good time Or you can get, you could start off with like a chest rig and start loading that out. Or you can then you can go to a plate carrier and a uniform and stuff like that. I know Karma kind of went through that evolution too, where he started buying (laughs) everything under the sun. Now now he's back to playing in his t-shirt and jeans, but he still has his core plate carrier and load-bearing equipment with him. But so he's not as concerned. I mean, I mean, you're wearing like Chuck Taylors at the last event or whatever. Which became like a meme, which it's funny because there's a lot of real operators that wear like DEFCONs and Chuck Taylors and all sure. that kind of stuff too. Dude, the number and of
0: Ultimash. comments I've got in those videos, like who's that guy in Chucks? <laughs>
2: dude, I, I, out of all the kit I was wearing, out of everything, that that even at the field, those got so many compliments. I
1: and mean, it made it easy to figure out who, which one was who. It was like, oh, there he is. He's right there. He's
2: <laughs> so funny, dude. It it's like, so fight,
1: funny. Fight, comfortable. <laughs>
2: that's awesome yeah
1: um but yeah i mean that's if you want to get into it do that watch a lot of videos but it's it's more accessible than it's ever been to just start playing at a local field but once you start getting in the middle then yeah you're really starting to get into the rabbit hole a little bit
0: yeah which i highly recommend we definitely had yeah. a freaking great time then, no,
1: I, if someone wants to watch like videos like jet desert fox is a lot of good videos Alphonse has a lot of great videos too, although a lot of his videos are just him murdering people, which are great. Uh, there's a lot of good videos on my channel, which a lot of the videos that I do are kind of focused around getting people into Airsoft and understanding the training benefits, but it's a more objective like having fun promoting Airsoft kind of thing, and like a lot of good stuff for beginners as well, and there's a couple other guys that are doing great stuff. Most Some other guys are like you said are just doing entertainment. I like doing stuff that kind of pushes the hobby forward, at least in terms of like knowledge and education and whatnot so there's a lot of good resources out there
0: no that's that's badass man the um any final comments on airsoft stuff Cut before we move into the next phase here
2: no i think uh i think we touched on uh pretty much everything fantastic
0: we definitely got to get the band back together again this fall at an event to be disclosed Ooh, yeah. publicly at a later copperhead. date perhaps copperhead. It, yeah it's copperhead <laughs> um no i'm stoked it's gonna be a freaking blast uh and I, i'm really excited about that one uh but let's get into some gaming stuff we got a couple minutes here before we wrap it up i am super excited eager interested and can no longer wait to hear about this elusive dynamic direction mod that exists in squad now <laughs> what's all that about it's
2: been, it's been wild it's been wild dude uh it's just we revived it from a couple of years ago and i think especially at this stage in the game's life like people were getting tired of like the invasion and aes kind of meta behind the game and so like we just kind of shake things up so like i I primarily made it because i was getting bored of how this the game was playing and i wanted to essentially just take the handcuffs and the restrictions and limitations off of like people that played and really let the players kind of try to do whatever they wanted to do within a match and so it's in its infancy right now but it's it's pretty exciting to see where we're gonna go and how much work we're gonna get done there's been a ton of positive like feedback from both the comedian and even other streamers very surprisingly um so it's 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 exciting we're, we're just going to continue trying to make the game into a milsim sandbox and uh yeah it's been a fun journey so far
0: that's badass so like the og squad that we all know i guess like the you know the the most common game mode is essentially a lattice system with a series of capture points along that lattice right so what is like the the elevator pitch on like what your mod does
2: we we pick a section of the map and we just say, "Hey, build your base and try to beat the other team." <laughs> that's 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 pretty much the the meat and potatoes of of what the mod is, and the most the simplest way I can put it. Um, we kind of just set teams loose against each other. This is a couple mechanics to make sure you know no, nothing cheesy happens, and that conflict is driven um, to a couple key locations rather than people wandering around aimlessly. Uh, but the whole idea or practice of it is to get players to actually use um small unit tactics or or, you know just general macro strategy uh within the platoon that is you know somewhat based off of real world um tactics rather than like gameplay meta of like hey we have this flag and we have this thing here and we need to capture this in order to win the game um but giving people a playground or sandbox to actually stretch their legs uh, you know fix and flank things you support by fire locations use indirect uh or combined arms yeah um, effectively with each other you mechanized infantry effectively rather than just having you know vehicles drive off on their own in normal vanilla squad and just absolutely disappear into the wind as they do their own things um making logistics an actual real thing and having to deal with your ammunition and understanding the value of of logistics it's it's just trying to Push the game more to that mill sim sandbox experience. That's it's pretty simple, honestly, in in its in its kind of direction. Yeah. Uh, just make things more dynamic, uh, and and we'll see where it goes from there.
0: That's badass, and I know you got like a, a team of people that help you do all of that stuff. Um, and mm-hmm. you obviously help organize and, and run the show. But what does that look like from like a development standpoint? Is that all happening through the SDK? Like, is Squad equipped to receive this sort of modification? Or are you guys having to do some weird technical stuff that I can't even come close to understanding?
2: No, it's it's all SDK stuff. Rubba is the main uh, workhorse behind the mod. He he does all of the blueprinting. So so mainly the, the mod dev that we the scope of it that we plan on doing is is blueprinting which is like custom code mainly because we don't have access to like the actual code we have to use visual blueprinting to actually affect things yeah uh value changes to affect balance like simple things like changing the the spawn times on rallies which is also done in the sdk and then eventually it'll be uh you know we'll be adding on animators riggers, textures modelers uh to introduce our own custom assets whether it's vehicles factions uh weapons equipment etc um into the game but yeah everything's there it's provided by the sdk granted you know and 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 hoping <laughs> that the SDK doesn't break again because OWI does, you know, understandably rate it as a lower priority than other things that they have to focus on. Uh yeah. but so long as they, they maintain the SDK, there's the 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 world is open for us to do whatever we want to do within the squad uh kind of universe.
0: I love it. The um and and I've touched it a little bit. I think it's changed a little bit since I played it last, which is a, a few weeks ago. Um, how is the introduction of the Aussies like played into it? Do you guys have any layers that include that new faction?
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> I'll be honest. The Aussie update is cool. Aussies are definitely cool. Um, the the biggest thing from that update in in reality is like the new defensive emplacements or deployables that you can create the fob i don't know if you've played or seen them yet like the camo net towers yeah they are they completely change fobs because the the before it was very easy to just oh i see a guy in in the bunker i'm just gonna shoot his face but now you're literally getting shot from people behind camo nets where you literally cannot see or exactly pinpoint where it's coming from so it's a huge buff to defenders in vanilla squad and in our mod um, and it's the biggest noticeable change because the Aussies, like you get Augs, you get new equipment, you get a new helicopter, but there's nothing really gameplay changing about the sure. Aussies other than, you it's know, it's stuff, yeah. mm-hmm.
0: that's super interesting. The, um, and the other question I had, obviously you guys are talking about introducing your own stuff later, like at your own assets. That's super exciting. Um, is there any chance or any like desire to make your mod interoperable with the, whatever, I think it's the realism mod that has like all that weird, like soft that stuff. Release
2: escalation. Yeah, that one. Uh yeah, the the sad thing about squad modding is that uh, it doesn't work like other mods where you can combine them and mix oh, them okay. and match them and just roll with it. Squad is uh, <laughs> the way the way that they've made it is very, very not collaborative friendly. Yeah. So if we were to use anything from MEE or if we were to you know collaborate with them, we would have to essentially bake their stuff directly in a din- dynamic direction. We couldn't run both mods simultaneously and get the gotcha. best of both worlds which is unfortunate
0: yeah so it'd be like a you know negotiate to pluck assets or stuff like that but it sounds like you guys already have a a way forward with assets that's all super exciting man squad seems like it's it's like it's got a little bump you know like there's there's life in it yet
2: which is very surprising i I know i mean we've (laughs) had that conversation
0: before because like it's this game that both you and i have been in love with since like it's extremely early days um and, uh, it, it looked like the life cycle was, you know, in, in its, uh, you know, I, I want to say the final stages, cause it'll have a passionate following for some time, but it looked like it was stagnant and there wasn't necessarily a lot of new stuff on the horizon, but it's interesting to see, um, it kind of reemerged. This update certainly sounds like it's got at least some stuff in it. That's interesting. There's still a roadmap. It's still clearly got an active modding community, uh, and a lot of like exciting experiences ahead of it.
1: Did you guys, mm. um, did you guys ever play project reality before they made squad?
0: I did. I, I was not. Uh, I was not Blue Drake Forty Two fanatical in it, um, but I was. Uh, I, I did play it. Like I, I, I was playing that, which is how I found out about Squad when it yeah. was announced.
1: Yeah, I remember uh, playing uh, Project Reality on Battlefield Two, and then me- I remember hearing rumblings of them coming up with Squad, and of course, you know, Squad came out and it kind of changed the game for milsim shooters. But um, I, I haven't gotten to play the new Aussie update. It looks cool, but yeah, I've heard the same thing about the camo netting, and it's like. It's pretty pretty awesome.
0: <laughs> like, yeah. No, I dig it. Um, have you had a chance to try out the new Door Kickers update at all? Or have you been Me personally, st- not. either of y'all either. okay no. yeah definitely it's it's worth diving into obviously door kickers you know i'd hate to call it a cornerstone of my my uh my channel but it's definitely a, a huge part of uh of the content that i put out just because it's such a fascinating way well, to I, I explore tactics I discovered and stuff your channel actually really?
1: like well i mean like both karma and you like i i've i watched your guys's videos before i even met you guys before but that's how, like, I remember looking up, like, Door Kickers videos. Like, oh, wow, who's this controlled pair, guys? Wow, his breakdowns are, like, really, really good. It's like, sounds like this guy knows what he's talking about. <laughs> so, I know, I think, uh, I mean, I still, I, I, you probably played the previous version
0: of Door Kickers,
1: but that was a yeah. fun game unto its own. And oh, yeah. I think that it's still good. really. They've done a good job updating it and kind of, you know, keeping it fresh too. So
0: for sure. And the fact that door kickers is still early access and they don't fuck around with updates at all. Like they're, they put out quarterly or more often significant content mm-hmm, updates. Mm-hmm. Like, and they, they are game changing updates. Um And, uh, and they just got one of those. So they added a completely new faction, which is not just a cosmetic skin. It is a, a gameplay change in a, in a, a meaningful way. Um, there's a bunch of other like kind of minor changes that if you're not like a super passionate about the game, you, you may not you know be able to kind of really relate to. but but the biggest one is the faction, um, and there's a new campaign with a few levels in it that that faction um, has access to. But the faction is they, they call it a SWAT faction, um, but it is like it's an indigenous force SWAT. Um huh. so like in this like kind of a, like
1: a SWAT or like Exactly. You know, like a like yeah. a
0: special police force like a you know That's th- kinda cool. their environment
1: like partner force Yeah
0: to dodge any like accusations of like um you know not being um you know a real-world location. They've de- de- defined their operational environment as this place called Nowhere Aki, I think is what it's called. <laughs> like, it's it's ridiculous. It's such a meme. Uh, but it's the Middle East writ large, right? And so this new faction, this SWAT faction, is a, uh, it's a special police force or, like, a paramilitary force. Clearly looks like it's, you know, a Western-trained and equipped force. Um, but they've got some limitations in... You know the kind of stuff they can bring. They've added a, a whole bunch of new guns. They're not quite as well trained. They're limited in, in some of like the protection that they can employ. Um, but they've got a, a bunch of other like little meta changes in there as well. Um, it's just a super cool theme. And then on top of that, they've added a militia within that SWAT. So you've got like the legitimate like special police trained indigenous force operators, but then to supplement then they have this militia force, which is even lesser trained. Um, and they start with oh like like an FAL. Or I forget what the other gun is. It's like an FAL or like an AK variant or RPK or something. But um, I, the FAL is what I ended up rocking just to have a, a big round that can shoot far um, with the militia dudes. But they only count as one deploy point. So like let's say a, a mission has, you know, eight slots to deploy you can, and you choose to deploy four of the special police operators. You can still deploy eight militia. And so it has like this this kind of like mass meta
1: wow, that's about a force multiplier man it is
0: but they like they're not super high trained they can't take a lot of hits but they can swarm um
1: no, you just send those guys in first to to basically get the other guys expose yeah. their positions or you, waste their ammo and you, then you, <laughs> <cannon fodder. laughs> you
0: really train guys to and, come and mop them up and you hate to think of them as cannon fodder and and i've been as equitable as possible or as charitable as possible in how i've implemented them but it has not always been uh it has not always gone well for them um, but, yeah, I, I just published the first video with that new update uh, this morning, and it was a freaking catastrophe. It was hilarious. It was hilarious, but it was a freaking catastrophe. Like, I need to go yeah, back and it, replay the that's level. That's
1: cool that they're adding that many more layers to that game. I swear, if – I don't, I can't remember if the army ever ended up issuing phones out to people or not because I remember there was rumblings of it. Yeah, everyone's if, got them oh so they do so everyone in the army has a phone Uh, oh well
0: they've got not not a take-home phone not like a smartphone but yeah everyone's got like a an end-user device at least in the infantry
1: i will say if if i was in charge i would just have that game automatically installed so when dudes have nothing better to do they're playing this game and like going through scenario i mean think about it like That'd be genius. They should yeah. just give that to everybody it, in the It army. goes
0: back to like the risk of negative training thing, which is totally a possibility. But I, where I see the value, it's in the analysis and it's the way your yeah. brain works. Like, and I'm actually I'm super interested in your take on this Karma Cut, but has playing games like specifically I want to say Door Kicker specifically, because it's very unique. It's like this top down bird's eye view of a CQB environment. Um but even for me, when when I I've just done so many of those damn levels that my brain processes the geometry of close quarters battle faster now than it has ever in my entire life, even with a lot of you know reps forward and in training. Oh, wow. um, where like I see it and I can just look at a corner fed room even from the breach, and I felt this at Iron Horse. And I'm like, okay, I know th- how this problem needs to be solved. I just know. Um, yeah. And uh, so has it? Did it do that for you?
2: So so that's the thing with airsoft, with gaming, whatever it is. It's the mindset you that you you take when you're playing the uh, the experience. So you, you can't be stubborn and think, oh, I'm doing this right. And this is how it should be done and get stubborn and set in your ways. And like, okay, this is 100% like how <laughs> this should be done. And just absolutely think that you can take this into a real world scenario. But what it does is it exposes you to the situation, mm-hmm. right? And so long as your mindset is like just absorbing and you go into everything with an open mind, I'm sure like if you took someone that played a ton of Arma Milsim Right. Yeah. And they have that mindset of like, okay, I know that this is a game, but I'm still learning how this game works. And you're you're still being exposed to so many things, whether it's comms channels or working with an organization, et cetera, et cetera. So much so, or even or whether it's door kickers or ready or not. So long as you know that what you're doing is a video game and you accept that you you will need to change when when someone with actual experience comes to you. When when you do get that uh, that knowledge transfer, or when you do have someone actually talk you through how things are really done, or you go through actual training, like maybe you join the, the military or whatever, and you get that training, I do think that the exposure to those mediums from before help you understand and digest the actual yeah. doctrine or information that is being told to you, right? Well, I mean, like if I, time... <laughs> sorry, go ahead.
1: I was I was about to say, um, I mean nowadays it's a in the army completely different nowadays you have so many guys coming in who've played arma who've played squad yeah. who've done airsoft and they show up to basic and they're like already like at least in terms of like when it comes to tactics or weapons or whatever they're like a step above everybody else cuz i was kind of the same way like you know you got a bunch of guys who are just there for college or whatever whatever nobody half those guys don't care or they're just not into that kind of stuff and then you got the guys that are that were exposed to all that stuff and they're just like they can take the deep dive and get much more value out of the the training that the military does give them so if someone was to do like you know um door kickers a lot and like and you know make that transition they would pick up on stuff really fast and i think the one thing what justin was explaining is door kickers allowed him to see the forest instead of seeing the problem just from the door like he'd done in the past now he's seeing the problem from a completely different more holistic perspective which allows him to take it in break it down so that when when he is back at that almost kind of like like limited field of view he already understands how to solve the problem because he knows what it looks like in his head from above sure
0: yeah and so. and like the the term for that doctrinally is battlefield visualization yeah, it's it's the yeah. ability to take a mental map and picture it in your mind and where your forces are and where the enemy forces are and how they should maneuver to solve the problem um and just uh and and that's what you' you play the entire game door kickers from a battlefield visualization bird's mm-hmm. eye view um and so in 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 and that's kind of like there's obvious value in that. There just there just is. It doesn't mean you go to war and you fight like you're freaking playing door kickers because you're going to die. It's going to be a very short war for you, no. as evidenced by some of my door kickers gameplay. Yeah. But um, <laughs> but it but there is value in just like having the ability to visualize where your people are in time and space uh, and how you might solve some of these geometry problems with fatal consequences. But what you said, Karma about the, you know understanding kind of like where to plug gaps i think that's like where the some of the value is where i saw and some of this is probably because you just play airsoft and played video other video games before um but at like at iron horse and like i don't, I don't want to be freaking weird but i knew that i could count on you like i had zero questions that you would be You know, I I didn't have to make sure you were covering my flank if we were moving into a structure or moving through the open. Like, I knew that you understood where security was required. I just knew that. Um, And it's not because you have, you know, a bunch of military experience, (laughs) clearly, but you have some exposure in some way, airsoft and otherwise, uh, to at least some of these like basic fundamentals. And some like the little examples that come to mind um, is when after we assaulted the train, when we reconsolidated and took contact from the structure and and we all like moved out of the open to move to frag that door, um, like... I just moved to that door and I was like, we're assaulting the door. Like we're assaulting that breach. And I put it out over the radio and I didn't have to like stop to make sure that anyone was following me. I knew that you guys would be right behind me. I passed the hand and arm signal that we were going to put a handheld through the door. And without even having to look back to confirm it, I could hear you say, I've got it. And you just knew that we were moving to this door. We're going to put a freaking handheld through the door. You knew that you were the two men and that was your job. The handheld was out by the time we were there. Um, because the angle of the door, you couldn't do it from the two position. So you naturally move to the one position, get it in while I provide cover to you. Um, and then afterwards, assess the situation, realized it need another one, panned to the opposite side of the door. And then from the opposite side of the door, when I was with you and I was going to put a third grenade into that room, I was like, you know, I need to move across. And I didn't have to like say, hey, cover me. I'm moving across. I was like, yo, I'm crossing. And you were just immediately like, Roger. And you freaking pied the door, dumped like eight or 10 rounds through it to give me like a split second to jump back across the gap. Um, Which I think at the time, like I took for granted, you know, like I was just like, this is just what you're supposed to do. Like, this is just, this is just how, this is just how you maneuver. But there was a lot of blueberries at that event that would have no idea. Like they would, that would not have clicked at all in their brain that those actions in that sequence under those circumstances would need to happen. But, you know because of whatever exposure you've had to airsoft or door kickers or like first person shooters or otherwise like you clearly at least had like some fundamental knowledge that those actions were required
2: I'm not gonna like so. So you gave me the hand and arm signal, right? And I pulled out the frag, and you double checked. You looked behind to to check to make sure I'd done it. I was like, "This motherfucker doesn't yeah. trust me." <laughs> oh <my laughs> I, was, I was like, "I'm insulted." <laughs> I, think then, I, I heard you say something, <laughs> and I was like, "What did you yeah. say?" <laughs> and then we got up to the door, and like that—that that, that was one of the spatial things, right? Of like just knowing spatially of like what needs to happen. When you called me to the front. Like instantly I know you're going to have to get a go- so so I like crouch walk to make sure that you can you, you can shoot over my head. Like yep. it's it's the, those small things of like knowing what's going on around you and what you're going to be doing that I can kind of like adjust myself so that you can have from a different angle a better a better, yeah. you know, job doing what you're doing. Um but yeah, no, it was it was it was definitely filled with a whole bunch of these small events where like and that's just because we played a whole bunch of games together as well. Like we just yeah. know chemistry. It's like I kind of know what we're gonna end up doing here, etc. Yeah, but yeah, it was, it was a great time. It was it was great to see like that translates from ready or not us playing to like in re- real life to some extent. Even though it's airsoft, like we can still have a feel and chemistry of like okay, I know what I know what needs to happen here.
0: Yeah, no, it's super. It's it's extremely interesting, and I don't know how to like describe it in entirety. I don't know that we've done like the perfect job of describing it here, but there's clearly something there. There's definitely um, you know, there's definitely value. And, uh, it was just, uh, yeah, man, what a freaking, what a blast of a time. And I did trust you. Okay. I did. I think I heard you say, I got it. And I was like, what did he say? Cause I I didn't hear it through my Peltors, but then in the video Um, later, I heard it. And for anyone listening to this or in the audience right now, um, this whole sequence, it's, I put it on the main channel already. It's one of the two airsoft videos that's up right now. So like that, everything we just described, you can go watch it. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was freaking sweet. I'm looking forward to getting a couple of those, um, you know more videos knocked out from that uh, that event, and try to like do the tactical breakdown stuff, and and illustrate what the battlefield looked like, and explain our actions as we executed them, and things like that. Because there's there's just too much to to cram into one video, so I'm kind of sprinkling them out over the next few weeks and months. The um, so the last you mentioned Ron, that's the only other game I had listed here. Has anyone played Ready or Not recently? I know they they there was a big update that came out. They did another pass on maps. They added one of the the test maps is um, you know fully developed now. Um, they added a couple new guns um, and uh, and yeah they, they it, allegedly they're suicide bombers. I haven't encountered one or maybe they're, that's like oh, wow s fests I don't know if that they I I heard that they were in. I haven't seen one myself. I think. There was some miscommunication and they're coming out in a future update just because I haven't seen one yet uh, and I haven't seen a video of one yet. Uh, But have you guys played recently any thoughts on Ron or any other games that
2: you're excited about before we close it out? My head's been so far in the squad. I haven't touched it a minute. Everything's been. I I haven't.
1: I haven't touched Ron either since the last time we played. But uh, I definitely. It's changed so much. I know we gotta like we gotta play and play catch up. I've just been so busy with work stuff that I just haven't had time to play in the evening. So. yeah, definitely. I've I've been hearing about the updates between the knives, the S and new yeah. weapons and maps and stuff. So definitely eager to try them out.
0: Yeah, dude. Freaking gameology brought on some frogman to roast me for my light discipline.
2: <laughs> oh yeah, th- that guy. <laughs> so when we're using lights to, to do non-verbals, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: No, he he. Was, it was actually a, they did it. It was a good take, and it was like it was a point in the development of the game when the nods were still trash. So we were deliberately using white light because you couldn't see <laughs> that shit was the under best nods. Way to see, yeah, yeah, exactly. But it's like the gameisms that like a. Uh, a traditional maneuverist isn't gonna, um, you know, be able to derive just from like watching a video. Uh, but I, they did a completely fair video, and I'm just giving him shit for being in the navy. But um, you know, it was uh, it was a fair take. But yeah, man, it's been one hour and like 50 minutes. I think I started recording early. Either way, this has been a fantastic conversation, guys. I, I'm super grateful that you gave me a little bit of your time uh, on the you know tonight to come out and chat about airsoft. I'm, I'm excited for people hearing this for the first time. Who may have had some of the reservations about airsoft that I had, and I absolutely encourage you guys to just, just, ju- just jump in. Like, find a group of people willing to do it, and just jump in. If for no other reason that it is just fun as hell, and you accidentally exercise while you do it, uh, and it's <laughs> hey, a freaking I'm blast
1: gonna- to exercise, and get some fitness.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a freaking blast. Any any uh, parting shots from either of you, or actually, um, Greg, because it's your first time here. Where can people find you on the internet? Promote yourself.
1: Uh, let's see so i've got a couple main channels uh, basically spartan 117gw on youtube is where i put my youtube content it's the same for facebook and the same for instagram those are kind of the three main platforms that i push stuff out on but also follow haley strategic official and follow pts syndicate as well so those are a couple of the other companies that i kind of help work with as well but um yeah that's where you can find me and if you like guns gaming and a little bit of everything else that's uh what i'll you'll be seeing on there
0: outstanding and i appreciate your time man and uh you guys all know Karma Cut; you're already subscribed to his youtube channel but you might not be in his discord so make sure you join his discord and don't forget he's got a bunch of exclusive content over on facebook that you guys need to check out so join wow. his uh his facebook as well was that good did i miss anything
2: <laughs> no, you, you got it all dude you got it all that's fantastic thank you sick
0: and uh yeah you guys know all my stuff uh, i have a website it's controlled and like all the links to all the ridiculous shit that i Spend my time doing is uh is over there, uh, but yeah man, thank you guys for being here. For those who hung out in the audience for the last uh, hour and a half or so, thanks for being here. And uh, that wraps up for now. I'll see you guys in the next one. Fade in outro music. Sick. Thanks, thanks dudes. Yeah, no, man. Yeah, man. Again, it was fun. Yeah, I will. Uh, I'll try not to tag you for the next one Come on, <laughs> man, because uh, I seem to be thinking heavily on it recently. <laughs>